0: Big Year Podcast contains adult themes and language. Listener discretion is advised. The Big Year Podcast is a recovery podcast about making this year your big year to embrace your freedom from alcohol and tear down the limits you put on yourself. Hello, hello, all you beautiful people out there in the dark, this is Daniel Bell, DB and that business, I'm buddy, it's Wednesday, March 8th, I am 258 days without a drink from the date I ditched the sauce, June 23rd, 2022, Uh, we got a wonderful episode coming up for you, of course we'll go over the week in general. I think we might get be getting a new addition to the family. Uh, and then we'll get into a little bit of this week's news, talking about Viagra and booze out there killing people, uh, drugs and medications in general. After that uh, comes the reflections part of the episode where I might go into a little about uh, family history, pre dirt predetermination to be an addict genetic predetermination those kinds of things um and of course towards the end of the episode we'll be doing my favorite part of the episode dear Danny where I answer listener questions like dear Abby but for assholes um but first let me tell you what's been going on this week my week an alcohol-free check-in with me I'm doing pretty good Actually, um, I just got a book for my Kindle. Uh, I do have a Kindle because I travel a lot and it's hard and I read a lot. So I don't like taking a bunch of books with me. They are very heavy. Uh, So I downloaded one for my Kindle. It was like $2 or something um, called Recovery 2.0. And it's about life after addiction, which is what I'm interested in. Like, what do we do with ourselves now that we're sober? Um, It's kind of what the whole podcast is about, this podcast, Um, how kind of every year is your big year. This is our big year together to make some big changes, to turn our lives around. And I wanted to talk about uh, some things that made me think about in the reflections part of the podcast, mostly family history type stuff he goes into a little bit of detail about how like how he grew up and his family history and his ideas about, um, genetics and stuff like that. And I, am not going to get very deep into that because you can buy his book. Um, again, it's called recovery 2.0. I believe it's Tommy Rosen, who is the author, but, um, But anyways, I'm going to take it way, way back in the reflection section. Um, What else? Uh, I think we're getting a dog. So we've been borrowing this dog from my wife's sister, and I'm absolutely in love with it. Uh, It's a really good dog named Katacha. She's a Pekingese. Katacha is like, I'll play on words like her, I don't know, it's a Spanish thing. Her her face is like smashed in because she's a Pekingese, you know. Anyway, she's fucking adorable. I just, just absolutely lovely to be around. But we can only borrow her from the sister, my sister-in-law, and that means well. We just had her for two weeks. We've been thinking about keeping her and just telling the sister to like fuck off. But, uh, folks, it ain't gonna work. Sister's not buying it. We can't keep the dog. It's not gonna be my dog, no matter how much I wish and make like little sad faces when she has to leave and fucking act like a basic baby because I love this dog so much, man. And I do need a dog here all the time. Uh, I mean, all the time. I Honestly, I think it helps me with, with my autism. I, I don't know what it is. So her family being pereros, like dog people, who always have some dog coming in and out of that place. They got, they just got yet another dog, a uh, stray that they found off the street, a wandering like, puppy with nobody taking care of it. It's about to get hit by a bunch of cars. The dad scooped it up. I think that makes it about seven or six dogs that they have. I don't know. Too many. Maybe eight. <laughs> I have no idea. Anyway, so I just said, fuck it. If we can keep this new dog that they have here, uh, that they have here, all the time with me um, again this is a street dog ladies and germs just a puppy uh, ready for you know a new master maybe <laughs> I don't know I'm, I'm really geeking out about dogs I have I was never raised with dogs but I just love. I, I love them anyways they've been really like helping me with my mental issues to be borrowing this other dog so anyway so now we have a new dog it's coming today hopefully Uh, very playful I don't know what the fuck kind of dog it is it's blonde some kind of terrier mix I think Uh, the big thing is I hope it doesn't get too big because we are always on the bus and he needs to be able to go on the bus uh, so he needs to be small he can be bigger than a chihuahua a little bigger than the Pekingese but not much bigger Okay, so we'll see. Supposedly, my father-in-law is dropping the dog off today. And I've got to house train this little piece of shit see what's happening. I'm very excited about that. The dog helps me to stay sober, too. Because you can't really be a huge fuck-up with the dog. I mean, you can. It's just different when the dog trusts you and loves you. And you're not screaming at it and pissed off and drunk all the time. Uh, There's a richness in this kind of relationship between man and beast, okay? Um, If you want to write in about how your pets help you get sober, uh, please do that. When you write in, ladies and gents, I do want to say it's not a big deal if you write in about something from another episode or an old episode or whatever. So if you're listening to this episode, for example, a year after I originally dropped it, go ahead and write in anyways. I I love to hear about these kinds of things. So anyways, um, what else? I'm loving life. I don't know. I'm in a very good mood lately, making great progress on a book I'm working on, getting along with my wife, very good things. Uh, And I need to remember that with alcohol, all this shit gets washed right down the fucking drain. You feel me? got to keep it alcohol free And the blessings keep coming So that's what's been going on so far How's your week? What's been going on with you? What's been going on in your alcohol free life? If you're still drinking and you want to reach out uh, You can also drop me a line Drop me a line at bigyearpodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com And we can talk about it uh, But now it's time for Booze in the News Booze in the News Booze. booze in the news booze, booze in, in the, the news. news Yeah. alright what's up with it this is booze in the news um I picked up an article just recently um, this is from like India Today okay cause this happened in India I just found this randomly obviously um and the title of the story is What is the title of the Oh, pardon me. Man pops two Viagra tablets. Hold on. Sorry. Unprofessional. Jesus. Okay. All right. Man pops two Viagra tablets with alcohol found dead a day later. A group of researchers from New Delhi's AIIMS have detailed the case in which a 41-year-old man died due to severe bleeding in the brain after consuming two Viagra tablets along with alcohol. Okay, so basically the story is that this guy in India goes to a hotel with his girlfriend, pops the two Viagra pills, drinks a lot, has a good time with her, starts getting headaches, Next morning, he goes to the hospital. I think he's dead on arrival. Uh, the cause of death, massive bleeding in the brain. Uh, and, quote, uh, his opt- autopsy revealed the presence of around 300 grams of clotted blood in his brain. The autopsy also revealed a thickening of the man's heart walls and some damage to his liver and kidneys. And the findings are discussed in the light of the literature About the lethal complications of combined use of sildenafil, I don't know, whatever it is, is Viagra, and alcohol, including cerebrovascular accidents, problems with blood flow to the brain, the researchers write in their report. The researchers also say that public awareness needs to be increased about the impact of using Viagra without medical oversight. Um. I can make a lot of jokes about this. Uh, reduced blood flow to the brain by tanking Viagra. Mm, where is all the blood going? All right, anyways. Anyways, it was a blood clot. That joke doesn't even make any sense. Look, I don't use Viagra yet. Let's get that out of the way. But I've got nothing but respect for people that do. And this is a scary situation. How's this guy supposed to know about this? He's just trying to have a good time. And there's a lot of shit that we shouldn't be taking with alcohol. And I'll tell you life gets a lot simpler when you just don't drink. How many times have you had some medication that you're not supposed to drink on? right? Uh, And then you maybe drink on it. Or maybe you don't. But how many make medications say that you can't drink on this shit? Down here in Ecuador, there can be, like, parasites in the water and food, where I'm staying at. Uh, and this just isn't, uh, isn't only an Ecuador thing. Studies say that most of the adults in the United States of America are living with some kind of parasite. So don't get on your fucking high horse there and be looking down on Ecuador. This fucking country kicks ass, so fuck you anyways nevertheless every six months or so it's a decent practice to do something anti-parasite whether it's medication or you eat a fuckload of garlic and these medications uh if you're not doing the holistic way the the medications which i've taken many times are extremely strong like very very strong kind of dangerous because they're their job is to kill living organisms within your body and then you flush it out kind of like you, you'll you have diarrhea and there'll be like worms in your poop, okay? Gross. Anyways, what people know here and what it says all over the label is that if you drink while taking the medication, you fucking die, okay? I'm not kidding. You just fucking die. So... I've been in Ecuador before during my drinking career, of course, and I had to take those medications, and I remember the horrible stress and misery resulting from the fact that I wasn't supposed to drink for three days. I mean, I'm an alcoholic, and you're telling me that I can't drink for three days because that's how long the treatment lasts. Uh, I was able to do it, but it was fucking Awful. And I guarantee you, I probably started in the morning when I was hungover and I still had alcohol in my system. And I guarantee you that I drank the night of the third day because I was like, well, it's been three days. You know? I mean, in the meanwhile, I'm, meantime, I'm taking the medication at the same time as I'm going through withdrawals. Um, and it just, it just reminds me, there's, there's, it just goes to show, you know, there's so many medications that just do not go well with alcohol. Some of them won't kill you, but some of them will fuck you up. Uh, watch what happens to your liver, for example, if you're drinking on heavy pain meds for uh, um, a decent amount of time. And this shit can fucking kill you, right? And all you're trying to do is make the pain go away, and that's your fucking reward. Make the pain go away permanently. Okay. Um, Wow, there was a huge flash of lightning just then. Or somebody took my picture through the window. Okay, anyways. No, no, that was lightning. Ooh, you hear that? All right, anyways. I broke my foot in my 20s. They prescribed me Oxycontin. For like a few months. Because I, I was such a lush. No other painkillers would work. My foot was in so much pain. It was ridiculous. I still think they fucked up the surgery. I can't prove it. Um. Anyways. I was popping those Oxycontins. And drinking like high gravity 40 ounces. At the same time. Just constantly. And God knows if my liver has scarring on it. Or some shit. I do know that people I would consider stronger than me. Uh, with more... Fortitude have died from combining those things. Not even remotely recommended. Um, and I hope through that through my sobriety now, some of that damage has been repaired a little bit. I hope. But I know scarring is also scarring. Um, let's talk about cocaine and alcohol. Like, how random. No, I'm just talking about things that go you know that together with alcohol become bad news okay uh and i stole this the following from healthline because i needed a quick explanation and i'm not about to like do a research paper for you guys but um according to healthline using cocaine with alcohol creates new elements one of the most powerful of these metabolites is called cocaethylene This product is stronger than either cocaine or alcohol alone. It increases toxicity to the heart, liver, and other major organs. Coca-ethylene also stays around for a much longer time in the body than cocaine, and its toxic effects last longer. Uh, Alcohol also slows the removal of another metabolite, ethylbenzoglycline, from the kidneys this raises the blood levels of cocaine and cocaethylene sudden stroke is possible when using both cocaine and alcohol Um, cocaethylene can raise the risk of stroke even more because it stays around in the body for days to weeks mixing cocaine and alcohol increases your risk for sudden stroke, heart attack, violent behavior paranoia, anxiety, depression and unclear thinking, seizures, liver damage, increased body temperature Intense drug cravings, increase in cancer risk, sudden death. People who use cocaine and alcohol are also more likely to have injuries or adverse reactions and visit emergency rooms more often. Now, fellow cokeheads listening to this podcast, first of all, if you haven't heard of cocaethylene, look that shit up. Look it up. Go now. Look it up. So say you just got an eight ball and you're ready to hit the slopes, okay, or you do a little bit of skiing. Um, what's the absolute best way to not go completely insane from a night with your best friend, this little white powder that you fucking shove up your nose that is cut with fentanyl nowadays and will fucking kill you. All right, people drink, right? And when they start drinking, they keep drinking. Because the come down from Coke is pretty fucking nasty. Right? So you feel like the alcohol is gonna kill some of this fear, some of this really uncomfortable, you know, horrible feeling that you get in your body when you're coming down. Oh wait, you know, it'll kill you too. I mean I I don't think I don't think I've ever done Coke without drinking. Okay? Usually the recipe is get drunk first, suddenly have a mad craving for cocaine get the cocaine it's party time it's liver damage and stroke time and when i die i swear to god if they do an autopsy they're going to see that i've had multiple low-level heart attacks you know i've had this happen to me 30 40 times probably in my life left arm goes numb i'm disoriented i can't catch my breath uh i re i end up recovering So maybe it's not like a real, real, real heart attack. Um, You know, we'll see. Anyways, that's fucking illegal drugs with alcohol. What about the legal ones like this Viagra story? I'm not going to go into it, but if you don't already know, look up the effects of uh, alcohol with NyQuil, for example. Look at it with ibuprofen. I mean, all the way down the board, alcohol takes other shit and makes it more dangerous. Okay, so be careful out there. If you're still drinking and popping that Viagra, just fucking don't. I would say, you know, put your drinking only at times when there are no other substances involved. And then maybe you'll realize that this kind of separation is kind of pissing you off. You're like, well, I can't drink because I'm on Prozac. I can't drink because I'm on Viagra. And yeah, it causes fucking dissatisfaction in your life because alcohol is a fucking jealous bitch wants you all to herself and ain't gonna be satisfied to be left down in the cold when you're taking medications for the other things in your life right which you know when you pair them with alcohol will increase your mortality rate or your possibility of dying okay all right enough depressing shit I just wanted to bring that up I thought that was a very interesting article Viagra and alcohol. Who'da thunk it? All right. Now it's time to go back in time with reflections. 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 Shut the fuck up. All right, it's reflections time, motherfuckers. Let's get into a time machine and go back, back, back in time. And I hope there are none of my family members that listen to this episode because I might say some things that they take offense to. But it is from a place of love. You may have heard this idea that a family history of alcoholism can sometimes predetermine whether or not you're going to be uh, an alcoholic addict or just an addict in general or have problems with addiction, whatever you want. Some people talk about genetics. Some go so far as to say it's a disease that gets passed down uh, from other family members. I don't think science supports that, but go ahead, go with that if that's what you believe. Uh, If we want to talk about disease being something like dis-ease, which I've been reading about in this Recovery 2.0 book uh, that I just picked up, That not being at ease in your own skin is something that can be passed down. I'm on board. Dis-ease. I love this concept. Isn't that, I mean, that's why I started with all this fucking bullshit. I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. I wanted to escape. Okay. So anyways, let me tell you what I know about my family. Okay, let's start with my father's side. I know for a fact that my father is an alcoholic. I've drank with the guy several times. Uh, For his entire life that I've known him, um, the man has been irritable or ill at ease without a drink. Now, he has told me about his father, my grandfather being the guy at the party with the lampshade on his head, telling jokes, the life of the party, um he has been portrayed as rarely seen without a drink by my father so this is my grandfather who i never really knew by the way uh he he died when i was two or maybe right before i was born somewhere around then i have no memories of him my grandfather was in the navy in world war ii my father was in the navy you could see this kind of theme going um like father like son my grandfather died of heart problems uh, which some people assume were alcohol related mainly me nobody ever talks about this but i mean he died in his 60s supposedly a huge drinker we know that alcohol contributes to heart disease so i don't know my grandmother on my father's side seems to be a teetotaler as far as I'll, i can as far as i know um, I did get to know her. I've never seen her with the drink. I never saw her with a drink in her hand. She's dead now. Rest in peace. Uh, my grandfather's brother was a pretty big lush, I hear. Um, I don't know how much more on my father's side than that. Okay. I don't know about any great grandfathers, anything like that. And my mother, my mother doesn't drink at all, really. Um, I have seen her tipsy maybe once or twice in my life, and I'm real, you know, observant of that shit. And I was around her a lot when I was in Ohio, you know. Uh, I've been around her a lot in my life, a whole lot. I mean, she basically raised me, but she yeah, she just doesn't drink. Um, she knows my father's an alcoholic, and that alcohol has brought her a lot of pain in her life. So maybe she's free of that burden, you know, by virtue of seeing the harm that it causes. Now my mother says that she's addicted to coke. Okay, Coca Cola. <laughs> but seriously, she 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 says that she's addicted to Coca Cola, um, and I gotta respect it because I know you can be addicted to almost anything in this world addiction brings pain and suffering and soda is real fucking bad for you or pop as we call it in Ohio uh so fine okay my mom the coke addict shameful anyways her dad uh, my maternal grandfather I don't know much about him she didn't really get along that much with him um I had this pleasure of spending hours drinking with her mother, my grandmother, however, who loves, who loved, rest in peace, grandma, who loved gossip and a tall glass of Lambrusco wine, which I thought when I was young was like this expensive wine. And I don't know how to pronounce the brand, but it's like Reunite or reunite. I think it's Reunite. And it is cheap shit. But I got a taste of, um, you know, her wine, very, very, I believe Lambrusco is dry, uh, red, you know. It's definitely an acquired taste. She would drink these big glasses of wine and listen to Neil Diamond tapes, and when I got older... I'd like to believe I became her friend, Um, and I I drank with her, kind of me drinking more in secret, but then us hanging out drunk. Uh, I remember drinking a whole bottle of her Lambrusco and promising to replace it when she got upset about it. Um, I do remember that, like, oh, go to the store, Grandma, but why would you do that? So maybe that's a clue that she was drinking more than I thought, I don't know. I don't know if she was an alcoholic. I have no idea. No clue. Not going to throw that judgment on her. Um, she was cool as fuck. Cool as fuck. Sorry. And I miss her very, very much. I'm trying to learn how to enunciate during these podcasts because I mumble. It's part, part, part of that wet brain that hasn't gone away yet. Um, I have heard that my mother's grandfather died in a mental hospital. I used to think of this sometimes when I was losing my mind from fucking alcohol abuse and associated mental pain that comes with that. I thought it might be my destiny. I really did. Now, luckily, that thought is so fucking foreign to me, I can't even explain it. Like, it's not going to happen in any way, shape, or form, okay? Okay. As far as my siblings, uh, I have two sisters. One doesn't drink really as far as I know or she hides it. But yeah, I I don't think so. She did marry an alcoholic and that brought her, like my mother, a great deal of pain. And they divorced. Um, And we love him very much so it brought us some pain too, the rest of the family. And the other one, the most successful kind of got her shit together one... Uh, new matriarch of the family my other sister uh, confessed to me once that she had a serious problem with wine in her college years and she said she beat it but she knows it's inside of her waiting to reawaken and when she told me this she might not remember that she told me this but I, I felt very very close to her I felt like I could identify with that obviously I took it well into my 30s she did not um, this is the extent of what I know about my family. Of all that, obviously, the strongest influence is my father. Who, okay, we look alike. Like, if you use one of those aging apps that they have, where you can like, you know, it, it prematurely age your face to see what you'll look like when you're old, yeah, we look exactly alike. Exactly alike. It's scary scares the shit out of me. We act alike. Uh we have similar interests. Buddhism, uh kung fu, action movies, uh Eric Burden and the Animals. I don't I don't. Know. Though I'd like to say uh I am kind of version 2.0 of my father, wiser, happier. My father's still suffering from alcoholism where I feel like I'm on the outside looking in some days. For you big A guys listening to the podcast, you just said. Yeah, right. You're an alcoholic forever, buddy. Join the club. Yeah, I get it. All right, whatever. My father undoubtedly gave me my uh, first drink. I believe it was when I was like six or so, maybe five in New York. I do remember this, we were watching TV and he had some beer and I was allowed to try it. Um, I He's uh, also gave me sips of like Jack and Coke and stuff like that, or Jack Daniels, just straight. I remember he used to try to do the Duels non-alcoholic thing when he was home. Sometimes, he was on like an Duels kick for a little while. Uh he traveled a hell of a lot, and that tells me that this was a man that was conscious that being drunk at home wasn't the best idea and was searching for ways to enjoy beer without the hassle. Probably a hassle from my mother. Um And so he fucking got some of that old duels. So I'm gonna enjoy my beer, goddammit. Uh. Yeah, he worked 90% of the time on the road, so we didn't see him very much at all. Um, and when I started to do the same thing as an adult, uh, I realized, holy shit, I get what was happening. Um, and by when I started to do the same thing, I mean the uh, traveling a lot for work. Um, I believe... And I have no proof of this. But this is the the story I've come up to explain his insane irritability during the weekends when he would come home and the frustration over not drinking. Uh, I personally believe, because this is what I did when I was traveling, and and I'm sorry, Dad, like if I'm wrong, correct me. Uh, The guy was drinking throughout the week at hotels. And then he's got to come home on the weekends and pretend that he hasn't drank all week. So when you're doing these jobs all day, you're working like 14, 15 hour days, and then you know you got to get up and do it again in the morning. You're trying to knock yourself out with booze, okay? I don't know. I'd bet my fucking life on that's how, it, how that's how it was going. That's this is how much, I mean, you might say, boy, Danny, boy, you're being a little fucking judgmental right now. I. Uh, You're making a lot of suppositions. I don't know. Live my life. I think you would have the same fucking, you'd come to the same conclusion. You just have to be me and understand. All right. Anyways, after my parents got divorced, my dad stopped hiding how much he was drinking and considered it his inalienable right to get fucked up. Um, and I have very fond memories of getting absolutely trashed with him in my 20s. Uh, one time we got so fucked up sharing a fifth and drinking it way too quickly that he fell and cracked his head off the corner of the coffee table in Florida. I do remember this. It was super fucked up. This is my dad. Maybe he's 50 at the time. And he's got a gash in his head from an alcohol-related fall, okay? I'm not judging him. I just remember that even though I was on the urge of blacking out on the verge of blacking out at the time it scared the fuck out of me and i've done the same sort of embarrassing shit in front of my daughter the poor kid you know so you know it's just a memory that i have anyways let's get back to the question am i cursed because of my family history to be the addict that i am Am I genetically predisposed to be an addict alcoholic? Consider this, okay? Can you become an alcoholic if you don't drink? I'm going to say it one more time. Can you become an alcoholic if you don't drink? Honestly, are you an alcoholic before you've given alcohol a chance to rewire your brain for addiction to alcohol? I personally don't think so. Maybe you do. We can agree to disagree. Please send me an email. We can get deeper into this. Here's another question. Because of what you've experienced in your family, what you've seen, is it possible that you will, because of that influence, take to alcohol and drugs faster than other people? Like the road to this destination called addiction might be shorter. The journey is shorter. Instead of taking a 15 hour flight to like Australia for your, you know, addiction, where addiction lives, you're taking like a cab down the street because of your family. I think that's possible. Do you? I mean, think about this, this influence from all the people in your family, the influence from my father being an alcoholic, maybe I got into it quicker because I wanted to be kind of at that level. I don't know. The only thing I'm trying to say is that there is no curse, okay? There's no curse. You're not cursed by a witch. To be an alcoholic or an addict. You're not fucked like that. You can't shift the blame on your family either for being an alcoholic addict. Let me repeat that. You shouldn't shift the blame on your family for being an alcoholic addict as far as predisposition. You can blame them for trauma and then you can use that trauma to become an alcoholic addict. Okay, It's your interpretation of your family history is what I'm saying, not necessarily the history itself. One of my best friends, who I will call Sarah, okay, lost both her father and her mother to alcoholism. Okay, Her father died in the hospital, I believe, of liver failure, and in the case of her mother, she died alone of alcohol and drug abuse. Uh, Sarah doesn't drink really at all. I mean, she has, but in no way, shape, or form is it a part of her life, really, like a significant part of her life in any way, shape, or form. It's not a weekly thing. It's not even a monthly thing. I'm sure this chick has gone months without a single drink. Now, how is that possible? How is that fucking possible? Is Sarah an exception to the rule? Or is Sarah's fear of alcohol driving this sobriety because both her parents died from this? Why would other people go even harder on substances like alcohol if their parents had gone out like that? Because other people do. You know? This guy dies from alcoholism just like his father. Okay. Will it skip a generation? Will this dis-ease go after her kids? I don't know. They seem pretty well adjusted to me. This is what I think is more likely, and I want you to take this if it serves you or throw it out if it doesn't. I think a history of alcoholism in your family is a factor, I think depending who you are, this factor can be from 0% to absolute high-end 20%, the reason why you are an alcoholic. In my life, I barely think it's a percentage point at all. There are so many other factors to consider. Peer group, uh, situations that you've been in, traumas unique to you, beliefs formed from your unique experiences that you've lived through, I don't think I would be exaggerating to say that there are more than a thousand other possible factors. And I think science will back me up on this the more time goes on. Okay? The point is you're not cursed. You're not genetically predisposed for shit. Or if you are, it's it's like a... That factor is weak, man. It's weak. It's just weak. You're not a slave to people who are simply not you. Okay? I mean, everybody's afraid of becoming their father or becoming their mother. Okay? So many people are. I am. I don't know. I may look like my father, and sometimes I act like him, but for real, I am not him. And this isn't like a child crying out, I'm not my dad. It's like a genuine, like, I feel deeply in my soul. I am not him. Okay? If you're stuck right now in this kind of thinking, I want you to get up right now. Get up. Get out of your chair. Or if you're in the car, I want you to pull over. And I want you to look in the mirror and repeat after me. Okay? Okay? I am NOT my mother I am NOT my father I am NOT my grandfather I am NOT my grandmother I am NOT my great-grandmother nor my great-grandfather I'm a unique person who has an entirely different set of factors working on them at any given time. That's a long one, I know, to repeat. I am a unique person who has an entirely different set of factors working on them at any given time. There are as many differences as there are similarities, if not more. I'm not condemned by the past. I'm not condemned by factors that existed before I was born. I may be the first in a long line of healthy individuals who will learn to love themselves. All right, hard to repeat that one. Yo, if you did, props to you. I don't know. I mean, I didn't exactly plan this out to make it roll off the tongue. You know what I mean? So, anyways. If you feel anything about what I'm talking about, if you have something to say about genetic predisposition, you totally disagree with me, you want to, you know, throw in your two cents, or you want to debate with me, whatever, drop me a line, bigearpodcast at gmail.com. All right, that's Reflections. Let's get on to Dear Danny. Dear Danny. Dear Danny. All right. Yo, Dear Danny. Okay, sorry. I had to do some little maintenance there. And I hit record, I get ahead of myself. Anyways, now it's time for Dear Danny, where I answer listener questions in regards to freedom from alcohol or fucking life in general. Disclaimer, I am not a licensed professional. I am just a man with an opinion. And you know what they say about opinions. Disclaimer number two, this podcast is so new that I don't have any listener questions because I don't have any fucking listeners. However... I found and repurposed shit off the internet. I've solicited my family and friends for any questions they might have. And I've sourced my questions from other mysterious places. And we've got three fabulous questions coming up right now. Dear Danny, I was recently invited to a party and know it's going to be full of people drinking. I don't want to expose myself to that because I'm newly sober but it's a work party and I'm a little worried about missing out on potential schmoozing opportunities. Some of the bosses will be there and I, I just don't want to be the teetotaling bore. Am I right to worry this may affect my prospects in the workplace? What should I do? Affect your prospects in the workplace? Oh, what the fuck, who writes this shit? Um, Yeah, I suppose it could, if your bosses are assholes. That shit will be very important to them. So you don't want to go because of the temptation, but you want to go because of the networking or whatever that it might offer. Maybe do something real cool at the party and your boss is really cool. Give that bitch a promotion. Maybe. All right, you got two options. Go with shitloads of sober drinks in hand like LaCroix in all flavors and realize that there are going to be a people there who want your sparkling water and don't want to fucking drink and you'll look cool because you fucking thought of that shit and they'll be like fucking totally relieved. Okay? There's going to be designated drivers. Not everybody there is going to be shit-faced. Don't play with me. Don't exaggerate. Unless you're working at like a brewery or something, maybe then. I don't know. Or hear like the Wolf of Wall Street or some shit. And people are also, you know, doing midget tossing. And Is that an offensive word? Little person throwing? I don't know. Uh, point is, you're going to look cool when you come with the LaCroix. And then when you're there, you can stay sober and watch your coworkers. And there will always be one of them that. Makes a fucking ass out of themselves, right? And then you can step in and you can handle that shit. Save the day. All right. Other option. Say you don't want to go. It's too risky. We're not going. Fuck the work party. Work parties are shitty anyways. You can fucking stay home. And you can work. Work. Work at home. That's what you can do. You skip the party so you can catch up on your uh, TPS reports, right? You fail me? And then make sure your bosses know about it by some way, shape, or form. And then next year, when next year comes around and they're asking for party ideas and HR is like, what should we do this year? Jokingly toss in that you should do some team-building exercises like going for a hike up a fucking mountain or rafting or some shit where people can't drink, Okay. You don't want to be bored in a room, stuck in a room with fucking morons. Um, The bitch in HR will laugh, but also maybe get the idea. Hey, wait, why do we do this? Right? I don't know. Either way, don't feel guilty about fucking staying home, dude. It's your life. It's your fucking life. Like seriously, this is one of those things that like when you're in the thick of it, Seems like such a big fucking deal. But like objectively, which is why you wrote in to me. (laughs) If you wrote in. Okay. Objectively, the answer to this question is fucking so obvious. It's unbelievable. Don't go. If you think if you honestly think it's going to threaten your sobriety and you can't be the rock star with the LaCroix. Just don't go. Okay. Option three, put LSD in the punch like some fucking movie, right? Nobody will ever suggest these stupid fucking work parties again. Okay. Put acid in the punch bowl. If people do that at office parties, if they have a punch bowl, pour all the liquid acid you can into the punch bowl. anyways obviously i hope you realize i'm kidding i shouldn't have to do that disclaimer in fact i think i'm just gonna say shit from now on and not do a disclaimer and if somebody sues me because they drugged all their coworkers, like that will be the highlight of my life okay next question dear danny what do you think about quitting little by little i.e tapering off okay We kind of had this question before maybe, but I do have something else to say about it. I think my original answer was quit cold turkey if it's not a health-damaging thing, Uh, and to also ask your doctor if you have a doctor, if you suspect that it's going to damage your health, and ask somebody that's not me. okay. But I'm going to speak right now for the people for which it is not life-threatening, i.e. they will not go into seizures if they quit drinking. If this is you... Listen up, I tapered off, okay, I felt I had to, I tapered off in a week, I went from around 10 drinks a night, I think at the time, to six, to four, to four, again, probably, uh, to two, to one, to zero, something like that, okay, and this is every day, because I drink every day when I was drinking, every single night, okay, and I did all that within one week about. Okay, I had suspicions because I've had some nasty withdrawals before that going from 10 or more drinks nightly to zero was going to cause some serious problems. Um, And I did the same with cigarettes, you know, within a week. Why do I keep talking about a week? Why week? Why, Why do I say a week, a week, a week, a week, a week? Because I worry... That there's some motherfuckers out there and you know who you are who are trying to quit smoking or quit drinking, tapering to your quit and it's been a fucking month. Okay? You've smoked two cigs a day for fucking like two weeks, three weeks. At this point, you got to look yourself in the mirror and be like, am I fucking serious? Am I serious right now? Because you can't stave off that pain forever. And there's going to be pain. All right? unless you come some kind of zen master and you really can do like the Allen car or this naked mind thing where you just like wake up and you're like, oh, suddenly you'll never miss alcohol again. All right. I'm going to keep talking about smoking right now for a second because I feel the, way, the same way about alcohol, but uh, this kind of analogy or the way I'm going to talk about this makes more sense with cigarettes. Some people quit smoking with cessation aids. That is like... uh nicotine patches gums those kinds of things but it always includes some kind of nicotine and some people might quit drinking eventually by cutting down to one beer a night and then zero but these people and you can send me an angry email about this if you quit with a nicotine patch or something or nicotine gum god bless you and maybe you'll still agree with me about this but that these people are trying their hardest to avoid the discomfort of quitting, but the real physical discomfort of quitting, even if you smoke one a day, is going to hit you regardless. There's no avoiding it. If you're on stage three, like the final stage of the patch, I've done the patch before, and you rip that bitch off and you're like, well, I'm done now. You're still going to be fucked up for the next week, period. I'm speaking this from experience. If you have a different experience... I believe you, man. Whatever. As long as you're being honest with me, transparent, real, like look in the fucking mirror, burn your own eyes out with your own penetrating stare, real, and you can tell me different, all right. Send me an email. Like I always say, send me an email. This is my opinion. But yeah, so I say, yeah, go ahead, taper. But get it over with, all right? Don't delay your happiness. Don't delay that freedom that you're going to get. That's coming for you. I believe what Alan Carr says in The Easy Way to Quit Smoking, that is if you don't that you don't quit smoking by hanging on to nicotine. He doesn't believe in the patches and gums and all that shit. It's like you don't quit drinking by hanging on to alcohol. Okay? Cut this shit out. The sooner the better, because there are still struggles ahead. There are other kinds of struggles. Quitting it completely, having no nicotine in your life, no alcohol in your life, that's the 101, okay? That's that's your stage one. (laughs) Stage two is like, well, what do I do with myself now? Stage three is like, holy shit, I'm miserable again. My dog, my cat, my mother, my... Grandmother died that same day. What the fuck do I do in this situation? That's like stage three. I mean, there's so much other shit to deal with. There's still struggles ahead. So you need to ju- kind of get to those struggles as quickly as possible, is what I'm saying, so that you can get to that freedom that you desire, that lack of wants. That day where you wake up and you're like, you know what? I actually legitimately don't want it. Like, it's not like a, I don't want this. I'm gonna get out of my life. It's like, I I legitimately don't want this. Calmly, you'd say that. So, like I said, if it's not threat- life-threatening, taper. But taper off. Keep your taper to one week, okay? Anything more than that is fucking playing games. Next fucking question. Dear Danny, I quit drinking and now realize that I need to quit smoking. However, I'm afraid that the stress of quitting smoking will cause me to return to drinking. I'm trapped. Help. (coughs) (coughs) Fuck that voice. Uh, uh, (coughs) Help. Another, now we're getting back into smoking again. I love this. I love these questions. Because I am smoke-free, man. I'm proud since October. I am so proud of that. I'm almost more proud of that than um, than alcohol. I've been smoking as long as I've been drinking. Maybe a little bit longer. And uh, it's been a bitch, dude. It has been a bitch. Okay, so anyways, the question was, I'm afraid of, that the stress of quitting smoking will cause me to return to drinking. I feel trapped. Help. Okay. I empathize with your question (laughs) big time for every person. It's going to take a different amount of time. Okay. It's amazing and wonderful that you understand that still smoking and patting yourself on the back for not drinking for health reasons, right? We quit drinking. A lot of us quit drinking for health reasons, but you're still smoking cigarettes. It's fucking stupid, right? It's, Fucking stupid. AA might not want to say this, but, you know, one of those things has a higher probability of killing you than the other. One is technically worse as far as mortality is concerned. As far as the statistics tell us, okay? And that one is a little puffy, puffy cigarette, that little fucking rolled piece of shit with the piece of shit, devil shit inside of it that when you smoke, it fucks your shit up. Okay. Cigarettes might not affect your family life or your job or other things that alcohol affects. Though nowadays it does it increasingly does affect your job because of you know non smoking mandate. I mean, my buddy just got a job at a library and he can't be a smoker. He can't go outside to smoke. Like he just can't be a smoker. That's fucking crazy to me. I would like smokers are so hardcore they just be like, well fuck, I don't care what my master's degree is in. I'm fucking working there. I'm fucking working there. I don't care what I've been studying for for the last fifteen years. Fuck that place. Seriously. That's how hardcore smokers are, yo. Anyways, it may not have the same kinds of effects that alcohol has on certain areas of your life. Maybe you're in prison right now saying, this dude doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. I drank a fifth. I fucking murdered my neighbor with a fucking Sawzall. All right. All right, you win. But I'm going to say it loud and clear. You know, and I know, at the very least, we need to quit smoking. Okay, I quit last year. Like I said, it's been fucking hard, hard, hard. Anyways, you get it. Time to quit. So you're right. It's going to cause an, a massive amount of stress. That's what I'm trying to tell you. It is going to cause a massive amount of stress. If you ever want to go completely fucking insane, quit alcohol and cigarettes at the, at the same time. I've done that before and it sucks. Okay. Anyways. Anyways. Uh, and it didn't work out either way. The cigarettes drove me to alcohol, the alcohol drove me to cigarettes. Blah blah blah. blah, 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 blah Anyways, what it comes down to is two factors: time, which is how far along in your recovery have you come, so that you can handle stress a little better. You are more resilient. For most of us, that's going to definitely be definitely going to be after a month without booze, and probably more months after that. Um, for me, it was around four months. And that's cause, and that's only because it would have been way more months than that. It's only because I was training fucking jujitsu like a fucking asshole and just completely out of breath, watching people run circles around me. Uh, could not fight, could not roll. I mean, it was it was rough. And I was like, this shit has to go. This shit has to go. I cannot do this thing that is physically good for me if I am still. Smoking, okay? Um, I also started running around the same time. Um, And I've been continuing to run. I don't do the jujitsu. I hurt myself way too many times. And I have some kind of like permanent injuries from uh, alcohol abuse. That make, that make me basically fucking crippled, and jiu-jitsu is wrecking me. I mean, like blood everywhere kind of thing to where they would, had to keep on telling me to stop. So anyways, uh, I started running, um, which actually works very well to counteract the urge to smoke, which is still present, by the way, the urge to smoke, but not nearly as bad as it was the first month. Um, so time, give yourself time. Do you feel resilient enough? Are you far enough along that if you freak out and call your wife a bitch or something or your husband a bi- an asshole or a bitch, call, call your husband a bitch, something... You, You can truly attribute it to the cigarettes and not to your unstable mind, this quitting, you know, the just quitting in general. Why do I put this pressure on myself? Fuck it. Fuck it. Fuck it. I'm going to go back and give me a fucking fifth of fucking vodka. Fuck you. Like, you know, you need to be able to call it like what it is, which is just I'm having a difficult time not smoking if I'm angry at work, if I'm snappy, snippy, whatever, you know, that's what it is. Try to control yourself. And there are some things that you can do, and which is why, why we're going to get into the second part, which is to take it seriously. Take your quit smoking seriously. You're going to need something to counteract the stress. Period. For me, it was chewing gum like that fucking character from Willy Wonka Charlie, or Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. Was it Violet Beauregard? She's like, I just love to chew gum. I chew it all the time. <laughs> okay, whatever. I'm that person. I still kind of am, which sucks because chewing gum's kind of bad for you, but uh, I've been doing it way, way less than the first few months. I mean, I'm talking 10 sticks a day, not playing, but guess what? It's cheaper than cigarettes. Make sure it's sugar free if you do that. Okay. Anyways, also running like a motherfucker. Yeah. Running and smoking are basically mortal enemies. Okay. Same with bike riding, smoking. Any kind of cardio cardio and smoking mortal mortal enemies okay Do some cardio every day if you have to keep your ma- and keep your mouth busy. Do all the shit you can but as I said above, don't fuck with nicotine. you ain't quit if you're still on nicotine. I'm sorry you can go to vaping I went to vaping for a fucking year and a half and all it did was make me wheeze okay. Most long-term vapors are going to tell you some kind of story like, well, you know, I think it's technically better than cigarettes, but just when I go like, sometimes, sometimes I, okay? I mean, it's ridiculous. Anyways, you ain't quit if you're still on nicotine. It's like using a fucking turkey baster to shoot alcohol up your ass, Okay. You're still getting drunk. It's just a little different. The method of delivery, different. Okay. That was a fucked up analogy. Okay, anyway. So good luck to you. And remember, number one, check your resiliency. Make an honest assessment of that shit. Don't be afraid to wait another month or two or three if you're not there yet. And two, plan for the quit. For me, that's mouth busy and burn energy using cardio. That's all. Okay? And as we said in the previous answer to the Dear Danny question, do not, and this question, do not fuck with this fucking quitting AIDS and shit like that. Come on, man. It's nicotine. It's nicotine. You're trying to quit nicotine. You don't try to quit nicotine by taking more nicotine. Okay, and some of that shit, actually, most of that shit, is a lot stronger than the nicotine that was in your cigarettes. Okay, like crazy stronger. Talk to your local vape store about fucking salt nick and jewels, <laughs> and how, and the level of that versus what's in a cigarette. I mean, Jesus. Anyways, okay. I want to scare the good Christians away with my constant taking of the Lord's name in vain. Let's just say that's Dear Danny. That's our show for today. If you want to send in a question to Dear Danny and be featured on the podcast, write us at bigearpodcast at gmail.com. That's podcast at gmail.com. Also, wherever you find this podcast, maybe if you have time, take the time, give it a five star rating. It increases its visibility, makes it so that people like you can uh listen to it and maybe they'll gain something from it like hopefully you have who knows whatever you're feeling about it thanks for listening see you next wednesday night for some more of that bullshit remember this is your big year be honest with yourself love yourself challenge yourself Peace.